All right, how many of you guys uh, read the Huffington Post? Who reads the Post? Everybody. See, that's how great they are right now. They, uh, their business model is absolutely incredible. I read it too, you know, usually through my Facebook and Twitter feeds. Um, but, you know, Ariana Huffington, the woman who founded this, uh, when she founded this, this model, it was so new and so incredible that her, uh, you know, her attention was taken to a bunch of different places. So she was flying all over the world. She was speaking to investors. She was talking to, to business students. She was doing things going a million miles a minute. And, uh, and one day in the midst of the beginning of Huffington Post, Ariana Huffington was walking through her office and literally fell right on her face. Literally fell right on her face. She broke her cheekbone. So, scary. Goes to the doctor. Doctor runs all these tests, all this stuff, trying to figure out what is wrong with this woman. And at the end of the day, the doctor comes back and says, nothing is wrong with you. You know what you need to do? You need to sleep for 30 minutes more a day. That's what you need to do. You need to rest. It came down to rest. And this is what Ariana Huffington says. She says, is, uh, after this happened, she said, is this success? If you are lying in a pool of blood on the floor of your office, you are probably not successful. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I wasn't tired. My guess is that she speaks for many of us here. We're not running multi-billion dollar companies. <laughs> But my guess is that we're all pretty busy. In fact, Americans are pretty busy. We're really busy people. You've heard the stats before, right? We have the shortest vacation times, the shortest breaks. We have the longest work days. And we have, in the developed world, the highest rate of heart disease. We do. Can you think about that? There are countries out there, and you know which ones I'm talking about, where people are, like, smoking and drinking with impunity. Like, they're doing whatever they want to their bodies. And yet we have a higher rate of heart disease because we can't stop, because we can't rest, because we're so busy. I think we're busy. There's a few different factors, uh, a few different misconceptions, a few different notions that keep us so busy. I think the first one is this. We think that we're resting when we're with people. Some of us, that might be the case. But I hear a lot of us say, like, I'm going on vacation to visit my family. I don't care how well you get along with your family. That's not vacation. I'll tell you that right now. It, who's introverted? Who's introverted in this room? Then you don't need to be around anybody. <laughs> you have no business resting around other people. Don't do it. But that's what we do. We spend time with people and we call it rest when really it's taking our energy. What else happens? Well, we have a bad definition of laziness. We have a misconstrued notion of laziness. What if I did this? What if I brought two people up here? Both were, were starting up businesses. Both had startup companies. And I told you, the guy on my right, your left, works 60 hours a week, and that the person on this side works 40 hours a week. What would you think? Seriously. And I know you guys are going, oh, well, I think the person who works 40 hours a week has a balanced life. No, you don't. You're thinking the person who works 40 hours a week is lazy and probably won't get their startup going the same way the person that works 60 hours a week does. We equate rest with laziness. That's true. We have a bad, a bad definition of success. Success can only mean one thing. It means that we have a bigger apartment, we have a bigger bank account, we have a higher salary, we go on better vacations. That's success. So we do whatever it takes to get to a place where we can live out that kind of success. And then finally, we live in a world that is always on. 
Here's a funny little fact. You guys ready for this? And I'm getting some weird feedback thing here happening. I don't know what's going on. But yeah, it's sounding really weird behind me. I feel like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. But anyway, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Travis. <laughs> in, uh, in 1967, this is a really fun fact. 1967, there was a Senate subcommittee that testified before Congress that said, we're really worried because by 1985, we think that Americans will only be working 22 hours a week. What are we going to do with the rest of our time? And then, this, then the cell phone came along and ruined everything. So what happens now? Now we, we literally can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We literally can do that. We have that device in our pocket that keeps us doing that. So there are reasons why we are not resting. Lots of good reasons we're not resting. Lots of misconceived notions why we're not resting. Here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is this. If we're going to have a theology of rest, then we need to make sure that we know that this is truth. Truth is this, okay? Busyness, busyness is not a badge of achievement. Busyness is a sign of failure. That's what we need to know. That's the truth we need to know. Busyness is not a badge of achievement. Busyness is a sign of failure. We are not meant to be busy people. God did not intend for us to be busy people. In fact, we can look back thousands of years ago and see what God wanted for us. Okay, we, um, we have our scripture, and in our scripture we have authors who wrote the creation story. And when they wrote the creation story, these authors meant, uh, made sure that they put in uh, the seventh day, this day where it says God rested. And when God rested, he didn't, you know, like pace around the house and then put on like a bad soccer game and then like eat chips. Like when God rested, he delighted. It said he took delight in creation, took delight in creation. So God wants the cornerstone of, of our of faith, of our religion is for God to delight in us or for us to delight in God's creation. And so we see this, you know, start to take place, uh, but we also see what starts to take place, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, is uh, that people struggle with business even then. We look at the beginning of Israel's history. We have Moses, okay? Moses frees Israel from the Egyptians, right? They're out of slavery. Everything's going really, really well, and all of a sudden, they're wandering the desert for 40 years, and Moses gets super busy. In fact, Moses gets so busy that what he does is he sits from morning till night. All Moses does from morning till night is sits and listens to disputes and listens to people argue about different things and whether or not they honor contracts. And, and so all of a sudden, Moses' father-in-law comes up to him. And Moses' father-in-law has been taking care of Moses' wife and kids, which I think is why he came up to him and talked to him. Um, and this is what Moses' father-in-law says. He says, what are you doing for these people? Why do you, why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses, he makes the same excuse that we all make. He says it a little differently, but it's the same excuse we all make. He says this. He says, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Well, what does he mean by that? What he's saying is, my job is so important. I'm doing the will of God. If I don't do this job, there's nobody else that's going to do what I can do. And so I got to do it, and I got to do it right now. I have a really good friend of mine. His son is 14 years old. A few weeks ago, his son, in the middle of church, leaves church, gets out, goes outside of church, gets on his bike, and rides away. And my friend's like, what is my son doing? You know, it's a small town, so it's not a huge deal. You know, so he's like, why did my son just leave, gets up, leaves, you know, 
14 years old. Two hours later, he comes back. 14-year-old son comes back. My friend is like, what are you doing? Why did you get up and leave? And he goes, well, I got a text from this sophomore girl who said she really needed me right then. So I got on my bike. <laughs> Young man doing the will of the Lord right there. <laughs> that is what's happening. <laughs> but we do that. We do the exact same thing. People need me right now. My job is so incredibly important that if I don't do it, I don't know who's going to be able to do it. Or my, my work or, or my relationship is so incredibly important that if I don't do it, somebody else is going to come in and, and take my spot. That's how tenuous everything is right now. So what we do is we do what Moses does. I'm doing the will of God. I'm doing the important stuff. The problem is what's important doesn't necessarily always have to be urgent. Vice versa, what's urgent isn't always important. So what are we really doing here? What's our real issue? What's our real problem? I think like Moses and like most of us, the issue is trust. When we say that we're doing the will of God and we have to sit from morning till night, when we are super busy and we're running around, when we're filling our lives with everything, what we're saying is we're saying, God, we do not trust you. We don't trust you to actually fill our lives the way we need it filled in healthy ways. God, we don't trust that you're going to help us uh, accomplish this task or get this done. God, we don't trust the fact that you are God, that you are in control. So I'm in control, and because I'm in control, I'm going to go ahead and dictate when I'll work, how busy I'm going to be, when I stop, when I don't stop. I'm going to dictate who I need to talk to, who I don't need to talk to. And, And really, it's just because I'm in control. I don't trust you, God. And what does it mean when we do that? means we take this infinite and amazing and powerful God and we make him just a little bit bigger than us. That's it. We keep God around so we can knock on God's door. God, will you answer this prayer for me? That's about all we do. So what does Moses' father-in-law say to him? He says this, Hey Moses, what you are doing is not good. Really? Thanks. You and these people who come <laughs> You and these people who come to you will only weigh yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you and you cannot handle it alone. And so scripture actually doesn't tell us what happens next. It tells us that Moses leaves, that he goes off, that he rests. We don't know if that spot ever got filled. We don't necessarily know what happened there. We hear that some other judges come in eventually. We don't know if that happened right away. But here's what does happen. This is what I think is interesting. The second that Moses goes away, the second that Moses goes and rests, Moses is able to hear from God in ways he hadn't before. And what God gives Moses when he goes away to rest is God gives gives Moses the Ten Commandments. You guys know what the Ten Commandments are? I'm assuming every person here knows the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Anyway, most people here know the Ten Commandments. Somebody just shook their head. (laughs) so you know why does god give the ten commandments to moses we have to think about this okay these are the people of israel right the people of israel were once slaves okay if you were once slaves you're not quite certain on how to be free if you were slaves then you you know you were worked to the bone you had no choice but to work and if you were a slave you were considered subhuman and if you were a slave you were not valued you were marginalized and so all of a sudden moses leads these people to freedom and these people are like what do we do And God's like, if you want to be free, if you want to be free, if you want to advance your nation, if you want to become the best you can be, if you want to become physically, mentally powerful, if you want to do those things, then follow these laws. These are the laws that are going to get you to a really good place. 
These are the laws that are going to take you from slavery to freedom. That's what God is saying. That's what he gives to Moses. Now, it's arguable, but I would have to say that regardless of what faith tradition you come from, wherever you come from, most of us can agree that the Ten Commandments are a good thing. Most of us can agree that, that these Ten Commandments do, what, uh, they do, they do for us what they did for Israel. They allow us to live in a way where our society, our community, prospers and grows, and we get better because we're doing things like not killing one another. That's good stuff. It helps us to advance. It helps us to get better. And so when Moses finally rests, he gets these commandments, and what God says is, these are the things I want you to do to understand freedom. These are the things I want you to do in order to understand that I love you. You're no longer marginalized. I delight in you. And one of the top ten things I want you to do is remember the Sabbath. I want you to rest. You've been working way too hard. And if you're going to understand what love means and what freedom means, then I need you to rest. Remember the Sabbath. That's true for them 3,000 years ago. It's true for us today. Why do we treat the Sabbath like a second-class law then? We do. Let's put it into perspective, all right? End of the service. I get up here and I say, all right, coffee bagels, go meet somebody new. And you walk up to somebody and, you know, you walk up and you go, hey, how's it going? And they go, it's going really well. I've been stealing things all week. It's been great. Robbed a place yesterday. Chances are I'm going to pull up a jewelry heist tonight. You want to join me? Or what if you did this? What if you walked up to your friend? Hey, man, how's it going? Or hey, how's it going? Oh, man, I've been cheating on my significant other the entire week. <laughs> Seven times alone yesterday, strangers. <laughs> what would we do? What would you do? You'd be like, I, I might need to call the police about the stealing thing, right? I might need to figure out what's going on in your life. That we need to help you. What about the adultery piece? You'd be like, your relationship is in serious trouble. Like, we need to help you. We need to figure out what to do with you and your relationship. But I guarantee you, after church today, we'll walk up to somebody and we'll say, hey, how's it going? And somebody will say, I'm super busy. In fact, I haven't had a chance to rest at all. I'm super stressed out. What will we say? Me too. I'm stressed out too. I'm busy too. I haven't had any chance to rest either. You know what we'll do after that? We'll make plans not to rest even more. That's what we'll do. Let's go do something more. <laughs> we treat this Sabbath like it's a second-class law. God says, I want you to rest, because when you rest, you truly understand freedom. You understand what it means to move from a slave to an independent, to somebody who is loved. And when you say no to the Sabbath, you're saying no to freedom. You are saying no to, to, to being valuable. You're saying, I'm not valuable enough to rest. You're saying no to, to, being, to living life in full. You're saying, you know what, I'd rather be marginalized. You're saying no to God's love. You're saying, no, God, you don't love me enough. I, you, I don't trust you enough. I'm just going to go ahead and keep working. When you say no to the Sabbath, we're failing. We're believing the lie that busyness is this badge of achievement when it's a sign of failure. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, has some really harsh words about this. This is what he says. Anyone who overworks is really a slave. 
Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave. To a need for success, to materialistic culture, to exploitative employers, to parental uh, expectations, demanding relationships, or to all the above, you're acting as a slave. Our choice to be busy denies the full humanity that God intends for us. Our entire Eastertide We've been saying this. We've been saying we are partnering with God to restore peace, right? We are partnering with God to, to bring the peace that God intended for God's world. And, and, and believe it or not, whether we can get this through our minds or not, when we, God wants us to, to restore peace, God says, I want you to restore peace by chilling out, by resting, by stopping. And every time we say, no, we'd rather be busy, we are disturbing the peace that God intends for us. So what do we do? How do we take back rest? How do we do it? Um, there's these two really great books that you guys need to read. Uh, one's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and The Emotionally Healthy Church. They're both written by Peter Scazzaro. He's an incredible pastor. A few years back, his church was on the brink of failure. Brink of failure. He's a pastor here in Queens. And uh, he, he was like, why is our church on the brink of failure? His marriage is on the brink of failure. Family wasn't doing well. Things weren't going well at all. And he looked back and he said, you know what, I am pushing these people in my community so incredibly hard that people are tired, they're burned out, they're unable to move. I'm doing the same to my family. And so through a lot of just like, you know, self-focus and prayer and reading on his own, he came up with four steps that allow for Sabbath. Four steps that allow for rest. I think they're great. I'm trying to put them into practice. I want to pass them along to you. Stop, rest, delight, contemplate. Stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. You know that they did a study recently that, that, that people who considered themselves busy, people who considered themselves overworked, and in this study, when they gave these people vacations, they were 33% more likely to get sick. 33% more likely. You know why? Because when you don't stop, your body stresses itself out. And if you get so comfortable living within that stress, it's that stress that actually keeps your body going. How messed up is that? When we finally stop and that stress releases, all the toxins release too, and we get sick. We physically, we physically have to learn how to stop. Physically. We physically have to change our routine. We physically have to say, I am not going to walk to that place. I'm going to stand here and think for a moment. We physically have to do these things. There's this writer, Judith Shilovitz, and she says this. <clears throat> Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. The inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was much more complicated. You cannot downshift casually and easily. This is why Puritan and Jewish Sabbaths were so exactingly intentional. The rules were not there to torture the faithful. They were meant to communicate that interrupting the ceaseless round of striving requires a surprisingly strenuous act of will. In other words, it's hard to stop. We have to train ourselves to do it. But it's the first step in what it means to rest. We physically stop. That means that we change our routine. It means that we go back to last week and we start saying no to things we would normally say yes to. We can stop and we can finally rest. This might sound ironic, but if we're going to rest, then there's a question we have to ask ourselves, and it's this. What do I need to get done in order that I can take my Sabbath? What do I need to get done in order that I can take my Sabbath? I talked to a guy 
who went on vacation goes, I didn't rest at all. I was supposed to make two hires. I did not make either hire. So I spent my entire vacation worried about prospective employees and wondering if I, you know, needed to look at somebody else and, and thinking whether or not those people were going to accept the position. He goes, I didn't do it and I didn't rest. If we're going to rest, we have to ask ourselves, what do I need to do in order that I can enjoy my Sabbath, that I can rest? It's a weird question, but here's what this weird question does. <clears throat> I mentioned before that Moses was doing work. It was important, but it was also urgent, right? Well, now all of a sudden, if we're asking that question, we start to see what's really important. And then we start to see the stuff that maybe doesn't matter as much. We're able to even it out a little bit more. We're able to put some perspective into it. What do I need to do? What do I need to accomplish? What do I need to finish so that I can enjoy my Sabbath? If we're able to stop and rest, then we delight. Delight at what brings you energy? What restores you? What makes you feel good again? What does it? You guys know Jeremiah? Some of you guys know Jeremiah. He, he goes to church here in our community. <laughs> he went on vacation last year, and he said to me, he goes, uh, he goes it was so good. He goes, it was just me by myself, and I built a fire in the woods, and then I poked at it for eight hours. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I was like, man. And he was like, oh, it was awesome. And that doesn't sound awesome to me. <laughs> but it was awesome to him. Like, he knew what he delighted in. He knows what he needs. And if any of you guys know him, you know he's the first guy. He's like, I'm an introvert. I like to be alone. That was perfect. He knew what he needed to be restored. He knew what he needed to do to be refreshed. And he knew it meant sitting there, poking at a fire. What about you? What restores you? What refreshes you? What gets you to a place that you feel like you have energy again? Maybe it's music. I think half of us are missing today because we're at Governor's Ball. That's good. And maybe it's just one other person, somebody that you love talking to. Maybe it's sitting by the beach. Whatever it might be, think about the thing that brings delight and go do it. And then finally contemplate. And to me, this is big. This is the most important because it's when Moses leaves. Right? When Moses leaves, finally he hears the voice of God. Finally he hears it, the voice of God saying, Moses, go to Mount Sinai. I'm going to give you something that will change the course of humanity. It's when he finally rests that he's able to listen to God's voice. I talk to so many of you guys. This is even my struggle, too. And so many of you are like, I don't, I don't know what, what I'm doing. I don't really hear God. I don't think God's in it. Well, are we resting? Are we actually stopping to listen to what God might be saying? It's hard to hear the voice of God. It's hard to contemplate if we're constantly on the move. And so if we're going to stop, if we're going to rest, if we're going to delight, we also need to take time to listen to what God might be saying. It's trite, but it's true. Prayer, reading, wrestling, listening, those things for just a few minutes allow us to be in tune with the ways that God is calling us to restore peace. Contemplate. This is good news. It's good news because contrary to popular belief, right, Busyness isn't a badge of achievement. Busyness is a sign of failure. God says if you really want to achieve something, if you really want to be at your best, if you really want to be free, if you really want to live life to the fullest, then rest, then sit down. This has to sound like a breath of fresh air for some of us here. 
I know that for me, if I sit down for two hours, I'm like, what's wrong with me? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> God says you're doing the right thing. Keep doing it. And this is what God does. When we're able to rest, God invites us into this Easter tide. God invites us into this story, the story that says that we are valued, we are considered free, we are considered loved beyond all measure to the point where God chooses all of us, all of our busy selves, to restore and renew God's kingdom. And that's freedom. Are you willing to accept it? Let's pray. God, uh, um, <laughs> there are so many ways in which we don't, uh, we just miss the point. We just miss the point in so many ways. And so, God, we're grateful. We are incredibly grateful for the fact that we have your grace. We're incredibly grateful for the fact that we have you um, who sees us not as slaves any longer, but as free. God, help us to stop acting like you don't matter. Help us to stop acting like you're not in control when you are indeed in control. And give us the courage to stop. Give us the courage to rest. God, give us the courage to delight in you and listen to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.